Hello, my name is Jim. This is my podcast, The Bloody Vegans. You're very welcome to it. Each week I'll be travelling ever deeper into the world of veganism, discovering along the way a multitude of viewpoints from the political and ethical to the practical. I'll be doing this through a series of conversations, each aiming to further illuminate my understanding and hopefully yours of all things plant-centric. And this week is no different. I'm going to be chatting with food safety expert, author, consultant and trainer, uh, Heather Landex. Heather has recently written um, a phenomenal book, really interesting take on the world of food safety, called Inclusive, the New Exclusive, in which uh, Heather lifts the lid on uh, on food safety from an exclusivity uh, and inclusivity perspective. Her perspective here is fascinating, and really thinking about the, uh, I suppose, the commercial opportunity really that's available for businesses if they uh, stop thinking of omnivorous folks as the default and start to build from vegan upwards, uh, and how actually that can give them a commercial gain uh, and make a more inclusive offering for everybody. Heather will explain it far better than I. So, without further ado, here's a conversation between me and Heather Landex. Oh, so Heather, it'd be awesome if we could get started with a little bit of your personal journey into the world of veganism. What's kind of brought you here? So I've been vegan for nearly two years, in a week or so. Congratulations. And originally, <laughs> yeah, actually it went quick. I think if I started out saying I was going to do it for a month, but I'd missed veganuary and gone, <laughs> it was probably... March the 7th I think and it was my daughter's birthday party she was three and everyone told me I wasn't allowed to be vegan and that's pretty much what prompted (laughs) me to be vegan but I have a very good friend who's also a vegan and she would call herself an activist and I think she influenced me while I was pregnant because she came to look after my eldest daughter while I was overdue with the second daughter and uh, she never actually got to meet her because she ended up being two weeks overdue. And we said, no, nah, she's not She's not allowed to stay in that long. <laughs> so she flew <laughs> back from Copenhagen to the UK and missed out on the birth. But for those two weeks while she lived with us um, and looked after my eldest, entertained the eldest doctor who was a toddler, um, she cooked for us. Although, So we had these boxes of vegetables delivered. So she cooked really healthy vegan food. And then right. we'd sneak off to the local vegan supermarket, which is now closed down, unfortunately. But she'd make me all these nice desserts. And I think it was desserts that was stopping me from <laughs> going from vegetarian to vegan. But I think the reason I became vegetarian was because my husband's vegetarian. He's a lifelong vegetarian. And he made it easy for me. And I realised, like, in the world of veganism, it is quite antisocial and inconvenient because there's not enough access and that's probably why everything in my life's led me to the job I do and to try and improve how inclusive it is of people with dietary preferences. Like what was it that, obviously. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> and what was it that, you know, your, your friend coming over and the sort of the, you know, teaching you a little bit, I suppose, or showing you how easy it could be, was there sort of, um, you know, gui- guiding principles sort of from an ethical standpoint or 
you know, had you had you got into the world of food safety by this point? Was it was there any sort of triggers there that had uh, prompted it? Yeah, I've already been working in food safety for about ten years, and I've been vegetarian um, only since after my daughter was born. So I didn't turn. Um, so my daughter was turning. Was she turning two or was she turning three? <laughs> Wait a minute, it's two years ago, so she was be turning two. So there's actually two years where I was basically saying I should be vegan. And it was just that I wasn't because it was too inconvenient. So when I went to Danish school, for example, there was only the option of vegetarian. There wasn't the option to eat if you were vegan. And it was just that one day I decided that I'd go hungry or be inconvenient or annoy some people, be antisocial. And that the day I decided, and I got so much backlash from the you know my close family, and it was <laughs> particularly inconvenient. <laughs> but I hosted so I hosted my daughter's birthday party with the extended family, and it was all vegan, and no one noticed. And we we had four vegans at her birthday party, so we we're actually the majority anyway. Oh well. Wow. <laughs> my yeah, like my dad's, I'd probably call him a carnivore because he's so <laughs> pro meat and it was a sort of bit of my identity back in the day when I was like I traveled around Australia and I'd try all the different types of animal and I look back at myself now and think why was I doing that and it was sort of an identity that my dad Mm. had sort of drilled into me that ah you're really strong if you eat loads of meat and I think he's always been saying that you can't do it like you can't have a cake if you're vegan you'd miss out on all these things if you're vegan and I was just proving him wrong basically (laughs) <laughs> and it stuck. So after a month, I felt quite good. And it got easier and easier as you learn to shop and you learn to cook different things and find some protein somewhere else or learn that it's in vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> so I might work in food safety, but it doesn't mean I know much about nutrition or cooking. Right, I, just know I see. About so- bacteria <laughs> and food. <laughs> I see. I see. So, so was that that a bit of a learning journey for you, particularly with kind of little ones? Did you did you feel any sort of sense of pressure that you needed to make sure that nutritionally you were you were well versed? Yeah, because I was um, also. I think it was a, a sort of an awakening that I realised I'd been brainwashed by the food industry to believe that you can't be pregnant and be vegan. You have to eat right. meat. Like every time I went to see my parents, they force feed me meat because I was almost vegetarian for a very long time. I used to just eat chicken because there wasn't a vegetarian option. And then when I when I married my husband, obviously at home we just eat vegetarian. And now I'm vegan. Mm. He pretty much is, so he's almost vegan as well. He still does the same thing that when he's in a situation where he can't eat, he has to give in and have whatever there is. And I think that's the the place a lot of people are stuck. Yeah. So this this kind of like, you know, they're not being convenient options when you're out and about and so on. Well, at certain places like at work and in Denmark, it's really common to get your food included before tax. Right. (laughs) So it's quite a good deal if you get good food at work. And it's one of the like well-known caterers as well. And especially during the pandemic, they completely forgot about veganism, you know, and it's just like it's Mm. an afterthought. Whereas actually, if you can please vegan, you can please a lot of people, all the people with a problem with milk, allergy sufferers, vegetarians, obviously, they probably like a vegan option as well, and it's variety. Mm. And you can always add cheese or egg or 
meat to a like a very good vegan option that hasn't got any contamination. And in in my industry, where I go around sort of chain restaurants and franchises, there's there's just contamination everywhere. And if you look at the plant or the Impossible Whopper, they're cooked on the same grill as meat, so it's actually saturated in animal products mm. there. Or it's advertised as plant-based, but it's got cheese and mayo on it. And you're like, well, mm. you know, you realise they're not plant-based. It just seems widely accepted that that's plant-based. And I think it's a bit of a disappointment when you find something's got cheese on it. <laughs> or you're charged like it has cheese or mayo on it. And it's yeah. actually you've had it taken off and then it's not really very appealing or it has no sauce or it's dry or it's always like um, the, the vegans are repelled. Oh, we don't want to attract vegans. Mm. We don't want to attract allergy sufferers. It's a bit like they don't. They think it's extreme or it's an extreme minority when actually it's quite a lot of people. Millions. Yeah. So, if, you know, from a cultural standpoint, and forgive my absolute sort of ignorance on this, but where where is kind of Denmark on the vegan journey? You know, if I think about like where the UK <laughs> is at, it's, you know, it's, you know, we're still a very small number. But you see vegan options everywhere, vegan restaurants popping up all over the place. Um, you know, it's out and about. What's it like in Denmark? It's interesting because I also work in Sweden, which is only 30 miles away. Okay. Less than 30 right. kilometres. <laughs> and they're very good at the vegan option or the plant-based option. And it is plant-based. Um, so even in the sort of supermarket, you can get something quick that's perfectly vegan and it's got all the labeling but then so when i'm comparing franchises in different countries as well it's like i went to iceland and i was a bit surprised how good Reykjavik is at vegan options but obviously it's very touristic and they want to capture as many people as possible so i've seen this sort of gap in the market where the big companies are not able to cater for vegans because they can't separate the food preparation and because a vegan option may contain or definitely contains it says may contain on it but it likely contains it does or if it definitely doesn't contain they've just put may contain on there for legal to get rid of liability so there's this whole vegan food's not safe for allergy sufferers and there's more allergy sufferers as in the animal products in vegan food um there's more of them than vegans so why Mm. wouldn't you cater to them and I think it's just because people like the Vegan Society and all these trademarks, if they require that there's no may contain label on there, then there might be a lot less logos out there. <laughs> so there's a lot, you know, it'd reduce the amount of the availability of vegan food. So I can see why they don't require it. But at the same time, allergy sufferers might look at vegan on the label, on the front, and not turn over and realise it's not suitable for if you've got a milk allergy not suitable if you've got a fish allergy even if it's a, a lemon tart it might have fish in it or crustaceans you know it might have gelatine from from uh, fish in it <laughs> because it's made on the same machine as the vegan yeah. products and sometimes they wow. put that on there because it's made in the same factory sometimes it's the same machine and in a restaurant it might be cooked in the same oil or fried on the same grill or on the same, you know, like if it's a burger, it goes through the same char broiler. So they, um, it's not a may contain. They're only reporting the may contain or traces of 
in the allergy they have these allergy menus or maybe they just say it verbally in some countries so they're actually uh, excluding the allergy sufferers mm. uh, even though it's a vegan option originally when it arrives at the restaurant it's not vegan anymore when it arrives on your plate and it's just wow, something no one cares more. about no one cares that's the that's the main upsetting thing and i think i'm a bit angry about it and that's why i'm writing a book about it and trying to uh, encourage restaurants to have a clean vegan option that serves everyone it's an inclusive option it serves all the people with mm -hmm. allergies intolerances if they're plant-based vegan whatever they want to call themselves or if they've got a religion where they want to avoid eggs or milk or allergies don't include beef and pork and and the other animal products if it's not a common allergy it doesn't have to be on the label I'm you, sure. You've blown my mind a bit, Heather. <laughs> Already. You've blown think, my mind a bit. Yeah, I've blown my own mind a little bit because this plant-based thing is really, <laughs> I don't understand why you would call it plant-based when it's got cheese on it. <laughs> and I think that's confusing for the consumer. It really is. It really is. I just want to sort of circle back there because this bit around the benchmark of the vegan trademark and I know there's a few of them. There's the vegan societies and there's a couple of others knocking around as well. I but actually made the mistake with the label recently. That's a little bee. But they did yes. vegetarian yeah, yeah. as well and I hadn't realised it was a vegan. It was in the vegan fridge, but it was actually only vegetarian and it contained egg. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh. It's, it's too similar. The vegetarian and the vegan was too... Yeah. In, in your experiences that Essentially, the benchmark is incredibly low. Is that the essentially the premise of what? If I've if I've got you right there, that the benchmark of that trademark is is just way too low. So there's no ingredient that is an animal product, and there's nothing in the processing that's an animal product. So there's no mm. deliberate animal product in there. But if it's produced in the same factory or on the same machine as you know, the standard version of most things, mm. then it might contain animal product. And in a restaurant, if right. the person who's serving it to you doesn't really care about vegan or doesn't even know what vegan means, they'll probably just cook it with alongside the melted cheese and, and animal fats. Yeah. And so that might not be anything, that might be dangerous for allergy sufferers because a lot of vegans as well are yeah. lactose intolerant. Yeah. Yeah. So there's sort of the, the kind of your, your ethical choice, your position, you know, it might be from a religious point of view, from a, from an ethical standpoint with veganism, it could be, but there's, but there's also this, obviously this health risk too, that's, that's um, not being really, you know, properly catered for. Yeah. So the contamination, like the stuff in food, we don't want in food, like in our case, it's animal mm. product, but for an allergy sufferer, it's, probably milk or egg they're the really common ones more common than nuts yeah then um yeah they don't want anything in there they don't want the traces of and i think if it's not life-threatening chefs might not take it seriously if they don't care about vegans they just think right. vegans are there's lots of names <laughs> and that seems to be i've done quite a lot of research that seems to be the standard they don't realize how many vegans there are they don't realize how many allergy sufferers there are 
and as well they don't care about the religions if they don't hold that religious view themselves but if they could wow. with a vegan option it could address the religious groups it could serve everyone mm, mm. because even if you're a meat eater you can eat vegan food <laughs> what do you think is the, the the driving force behind businesses restaurants food manufacturers not really worrying about this you know is is it purely that there isn't a enough profit motive in it uh, or that the legislation doesn't hold them to account or um the contamination issue isn't legislated so there's no minimum there's no sort of maximum amount of contamination that would be a problem as long as they say for the allergy sufferers that it may contain they're not doing anything illegal even though it's quite careless contamination and that seems quite wow. unjust. But what they're not seeing is yes. the opportunity to serve a lot more people because it's not just vegans. Mm. And I think um, also vegans steer the group. So if I go out with my extended family, there's 12 of us with a lot of kids, <laughs> then <laughs> I probably do to where we eat because I have the yeah. strongest dietary preference and I think it's the same for allergy sufferers. If you have a health reason for wanting to eat a certain place because you feel confident that they're going to serve you something that's not going to make you ill and in some cases it's deadly I think they just it's like the business doesn't want the liability I don't want to take that responsibility but yeah. you're actually turning people away and the group they would have eaten with because it might be inconvenient to serve a vegan or an allergy sufferer if you don't have something ready for them but if you have something on the menu that's adaptable to all these different diet preferences, you could save, you know, all the people in the group. So it's a, a sort of multiplying factor. And then obviously, vegans like to support the vegans by telling them where to eat. <laughs> so you've got a network effect yeah. as well. So it's actually two layers of amplification of organic marketing and reach. Yeah. So it's a massive opportunity. Hundred so percent. The is that is that the main driver the area of your focus and you know we come on to the the book um but is that is the main driver of your focus to kind of get to restaurateurs and and business owners or or is there a is or do you see that the legislation's got to follow first before they will kind of you know t toe that line i think legislation can only do so much because it has to be enforceable and there's no legislation that will right. make them care and there is, in the UK, the law's changing, so they have to do a lot more with allergy labelling in restaurants. So if they, well, it's actually more for the grab-and-go sort of sandwiches in packaging because there's been quite a lot of high-profile deaths in the UK from mislabeled. It's not it even mislabeled. one, wasn't there? Yeah, it was a, a loophole. They didn't do anything illegal. So it was sort of, uh, that's quite hard for businesses to do. It's quite expensive. But they couldn't make them care or cooperate so much <laughs> so that's the problem is the awareness right. how many people it affects it's millions in the uk and they they sort of yeah the ones yeah. it affects a lot like allergy sufferers that are severely sort of i, I don't want to say they're disabled because they might not want to call themselves that but it is life-threatening health condition but mm. that might be a few million people but the people on the gradient of you know all the way to intolerant to lactose intolerant which is actually a normal a normal state not even a <laughs> it's not even a health condition <laughs> it's just a normal state um, yeah. 
that whole gradient is maybe 20% of the population avoid milk. That's massive. Wow. And they don't see it. They see it as one in a thousand or one in a 10,000, you know, like one in a million gets anaphylaxis, you know, like the deadly kind of allergy when actually it might be one in 10 people affected on the gradient where they might want to avoid especially milk <laughs> milk and yeah. egg are the common ones and you've probably heard of shellfish as well but there's the there's also allergies that are not listed and have to be on labels like beef there's people that have an allergy to beef it's called alpha gal it's a allergy that's really rare but they might assume a vegan product doesn't contain beef, but if it's been cooked on the same grill, it definitely mm. contains a lot. Yeah. And the number of vegans wow. is on the increase, the number of people with allergies is on the increase. And I think it's turning now how people perceive milk. As, as mm. Now, it used to always be healthy and your source of calcium. Now it's going towards it's unhealthy and makes you fat. <laughs> So hopefully more people realise that, you know, adults aren't supposed to be drinking milk from any species. <laughs> no, absolutely not. I, <laughs> I, would, I would certainly have I had a really good that. laugh with someone because they said, oh, they were really disgusted once because they were what, looking at a chalkboard and they were talking about coffees and it said cat milk because the O had rubbed off on oat milk. And he's like, oh, cat milk. Uh. And I had all these images of my... You know, lactating cat. <laughs> I was like, why is that different to a cow? <laughs> Made him think. It, it is the, the level level of dissonance is, is pretty exceptional with milk, isn't it? <laughs> I think I was like that not very long ago, though. And I work in the industry. I work with food. I know probably more than mm. the average general person in the population about hygiene and how food is made. And even I thought I needed milk and meat while I was pregnant. Because I think the yeah. responsibility was not just about me, and I knew that I didn't know enough, so I just went with the majority. And that's, a, that's what it's all about, really, isn't it? People just go with the mainstream. And if you can get everyday restaurants to have a vegan option, it makes veganism more mainstream. Yeah, 100%. I mean, we've talked a lot around, sort of around the subjects involved, but tell us a little bit about the book. How did it how did it come about? What sort of led you to the point where you thought, I need to get some of these these ideas down? So I've been working auditing, you know, the big chain restaurants, and only a few of them, and actually a workplace, are very good at, at either vegan options or allergy-friendly options. Like one of the best workplaces in the world have 19 allergens whereas in the eu you only need 14 and the other the other allergens include all the ones that affect religion like beef pork alcohol right. and uh it's to be an inclusive workplace because it's inclusive because if people can eat that food's involved in so many things i'm a bit rude when i go around these restaurants because i usually turn down a coffee if they don't have oat milk i don't even like soy milk so i am mm. a bit picky but like coffee's the sort of social thing it's like a handshake almost and i think while i was going around trying to be vegan and you know being a bit rude because i wasn't accepting coffees i had a an incident where i'd stayed in a usual hotel because i go like travel around denmark quite a lot and uh, sweden and i stayed in this place i always stay ate what i usually eat 
and I had a massive allergy where my lips swelled up and my hands went white and my feet went numb and I basically couldn't speak so I called an ambulance thinking it was anaphylaxis and I do have allergies anyway so originally I just thought oh I've got a bit of hay fever my eyes are a bit puffy and then I started getting worried for my life and just in the amount of time it took to diagnose that it wasn't a milk allergy which is what I originally thought it was about four weeks where I was just scared to eat even food from the supermarket. It's really hard to shop if you've got an allergy. You can't, you turn every packet over and you're not allowed it. You have to shop in the free-from section. And there's basically biscuits and <laughs> sort of really processed food there. Yeah. Whereas I just wanted the normal vegan food. I shouldn't have to worry about milk in vegan food. So I got a bit sort of obsessed with it. And the more I learned about it, and I'm obviously I know where to look up legislation and all the rules about manufacturing and that sort of thing, whereas usually I just focus on what food handlers do in restaurants. And I started getting a bit like angry that no one cares about these people. So allergy sufferers are excluded from everyday life because they can't eat with their colleagues, they can't eat with their schoolmates, they can't attend the work events. And it's it's sort of if when we were talking about the vegan leads the group, the allergy sufferer probably leads this even stronger reason to lead the group if you wanted to celebrate something like a wedding. But that stays where you have the wedding. If you want someone to attend who's got an allergy, you're going to go somewhere where they have good allergy management. There's actually a really good yeah, marketing so- strategy to be welcoming to vegans and allergy sufferers and all of the diet preferences. Yeah, 100%. I'm, I'm sort of almost surprised, as you say it, uh, that there isn't anybody out there kind of who's thought about this. You mentioned that there's, you know, one employer that you've seen who's got the full 19 on the allergy list and so on. Have you seen any businesses in your line of work who are, leading the charge in this this regard i do i can't name them unfortunately because then you'd know i work with them <laughs> <laughs> of course i do have a few but a there few are I'd some like there are some out the there UK that are already really good with their what's available online to look up if they have allergy friendly mm. stuff and i did criticize them originally i was going to criticize them in my book but just before i sent the book to editor i looked them up again and they'd fixed the problem because they'd removed this may contain requirement so you could select, what can I have on your menu that doesn't contain milk and I'm vegan? And originally I could have three cakes because <laughs> they're probably bought in and they're bought in from a factory that doesn't have milk. Um, but they've changed it so you right. can have every section of the menu, there's an option. And what they've done is they've taken the responsibility to contact the manufacturers to ask them what are the risks. And I think it's just the motivation not to put the may contain on there for the manufacturers isn't there because there's no demand for it from the restaurants. And it's sort of like a, a misalignment of who's responsible. And some people would say that the allergy sufferer is responsible. But it's not their fault they have an allergy and they don't know how you cook food and they don't know what the manufacturer's done. So it's a bit unfair that the liability is put on the consumer because they've accepted the may contain. So this may contain label is the problem, is it's sort of a get out of jail free card for manufacturers to not care about cross-contamination. 
Can you see that ever changing, like legislatively? Can you see, you know, is there, is there any talk of government saying, actually, we're going to hold the food standard agencies or well, the food standards practices have got to be much higher and you can't use that. We know it's a disclaimer because like everybody does. You see, I mean, it's almost a running joke, isn't it, with people about seeing may contain nuts in products that are, they think there's, how could there possibly be nuts in this? But there's always may contain nuts because it's, a, like you say, it's a bit of a disclaimer. Do, do you see any sense that a, that a government might change the, the law on that? I think as soon as the consumer demands it, so. Obviously, in the UK, you've got Natasha's law coming out later this year, which is basically a campaign against the government by the Natasha Foundation because she died and it was legal what they'd done and she'd made a mistake. And it was like not her fault. She read the ingredients and thought it didn't contain sesame because mm. that product didn't have to say anything. And that's confusing. But there's all the allergy sufferers that are not in these 14 that have to be on the label. And they must just be too scared to eat out. Or they eat out, eat out naively, thinking that the chef or the business know how to manage allergies. And I think, the, so in 1990, for example, food safety suddenly improved because new legislation came out. And I think more people are having allergies now. It's the way we live. Our lifestyles are causing more allergies. Mm. There's like a gluten-free revolution going on as well. I think the the demand will come mm. and it'll be in the next five years. It's quite a short time scale and people are now more focused on their health. They're realizing these things and there's a lot available online for diagnosis because it's really hard to find. Uh, if you've got an intolerance, it's really hard to find it because it might not just be a blood test. It might not be simple what you're allergic mm. to. It might be more than one thing. And I still feel like I have a milk allergy. <laughs> But I've got lactose intolerance to tell me, oh, we've had milk. Someone's put milk. And then usually it is because it's called plant-based and then it's got pesto on it and the pesto's got cheese in it or, you know, something they've innocently done, basically, without having the... It is quite a, a, an education to learn all these places that animal products yeah. are used in food. And it must be even more difficult when it's an allergy that's not common. I imagine it's pretty frustrating for you as, you know, when you're out and about looking at food safety, seeing elements that aren't necessarily covered by the law, you know, these these sort of elements of um, people not caring about allergy sufferers in the food prep side of things or, you know, not or not really worrying too much about whether something's vegan or not. And I guess it, the, the, there must be a massive frustration for you insofar as your jurisdiction is on what is legal and safe and you you can't really correct them for well, it. <laughs> is, that, is that something you have I've to experience? Because in my job working with a compliance company, I'm not allowed to give my opinion on vegan food. I'm only allowed to say what the standards of the franchise are. So right. if I'm meeting a brand standard, it's usually better than the legal standard by far because the legal standards are only to stop people dying right. or getting injured. They're not anything about quality. They're not about quality <laughs> and food safety. So wow. if you know if it's full of chemicals, as long as they're legal chemicals, it's allowed. <laughs> There's all sorts of things that we eat that it should, like the amount of sugar for a start is not wow. healthy. But that doesn't, that's not what food safety is about. It's about not having bacteria that can poison you. Mm. 
and uh, it's even been difficult with viruses because people like people in the food industry probably understand what they do to prevent food poisoning with bacteria but they might not necessarily think about allergies because usually you can cook things and that kills it and that's quite safe once it's cooked especially raw meat you wouldn't eat raw meat because it'll make you sick once you've cooked it as long as you've cooked it hot enough for long enough Mm. it's safe to eat but that doesn't help you if you've contaminated something with animal products cooked it there's still the animal products there and that's the problem with fryers and grills and all these tongs and anything they use throughout the day so you you, you sort of cross contaminating with an allergen instead of bacteria and that's not in most people's most people don't think about that even parents of people with allergies so if you get an, uh, a child with a milk allergy that's a huge education <laughs> to know how to keep them safe <laughs> and it's not on the normal food handler's mind and it's not what they're taught when they when they learn about hygiene they learn about bacteria so allergies is sort of optional so the law only makes you tell people oh. if they can eat it safely it doesn't mean you have to be able to serve them and that with veganism, they say it's a choice, see, so they don't. See. There's no uh, discrimination involved when actually it is discrimination to, you know, not feed people because of their beliefs. Yeah, there's been a, um, and I don't know if it's if if the if this has extended into into Denmark but I don't know if you if you saw I think it was back last year there was a a court case with a, an employer in the UK over it wasn't necessarily around food but around um the protection of somebody's sort of uh you know the, the recognition if you like of veganism as a belief system and therefore needed to be protected under the law do you think that that is a, a key element that needs to happen in order to at least nudge sort of the veganism side, if not all of the allergy side, up to uh, some sort of protected status? Or do you think it still just comes down to the food handler at the end of the day and what they I choose to do? I think it comes do? down to if it's profitable. And it's getting it's getting profitable because right. there's so many people with allergy problems, there's so many people that are vegan, or, or they're plant-based because they don't want to be antisocial and admit they're vegan, really, <laughs> in public. <laughs> because it do, you do get backlash. And I, I've had backlash, and it's purely people taking the mick out of me. And normally, I enjoy that. But mm. <laughs> when it means I go hungry, I don't enjoy it so much. <laughs> and there's a point where I'm so hungry, I'm angry. So I think that's the that's the point. It'll be when there's enough demand. I think vegans, so vegans say only five years ago when there was a quarter of the number of vegans, like less than a percent. Now it's probably around 3%. 3% is not a lot of people. If you're a high like revenue company high turnover food you need to be thinking about that three percent because it's not just the three percent it's the three percent and their family and their friends and their work groups and if they want to do something that involves a celebration you want to go to a place where they can be catered for and as well as you get older and people are living longer although they might be reducing again now (laughs) because we're so unhealthy um There'll be other dietary preferences, such as people who need to lose weight, people with, mm, mm. you know, diabetes. That's quite common. But high cholesterol, 
there's any cholesterol in meat and animal products. There's no cholesterol in plants. If you've got high cholesterol, have a vegan diet, plant-based if you want. It's a very, it, So many people are now overweight and trying to um, reduce their risk of heart disease or even some cancers. It's related to animal eating animal products. I think people are just becoming more aware of it now. And, and actually, if you if you look at, at the yeah. um, reports from the meat industry or the dairy industry, they're worried now because a lot of people are reducing their meat intake and they're not even aware of it. So if you, if you ask them in a survey, they'd be saying they're a meat eater, but they're actually eating a lot less. And that's worrying for the meat industry. They want to know how to get those guys back and not, not let them go into the flexitarian range. And I find that quite quite interesting, that there's sort of unconscious flexitarians. And that makes me excited. <laughs> That's fascinating, actually. I've not I've not necessarily heard that. So it's quite, that is quite inter- an interesting point. That, yeah, people would still sort of identify themselves as meat eaters and omnivorous and so on. But realistically, they're two or three meals a week, probably, if not more, two or three days, I should say, a week, and they're not yeah, and eating I think anything animal-based. The choice is coming as well. There are a lot based. of plant-based options, and they might not be perfect for vegans or mm. allergy sufferers, but there's a lot more plant-based options than there have been before. And that, So if you compare a ve- someone who's been vegan for two years, mm. like me, and someone who's been vegan for 25 years, I have a much easier time now, and I think it'll get easier and easier for people to mm. try it out and live their lives in the mainstream, in a normal job. <laughs> Still able to go to the pub and have a beer <laughs> that's not got animal products. <laughs> There's a lot more um, beers and wines with vegan written on them now as in well. Your- so that's not a requirement. That's not legislated. That's happening naturally. Wow. So that's an ex- exactly a case in point of this supply and demand yeah. piece that you it's talk just about. What's vegan isn't isn't written in legislation, and I, I think you were talking about Geordie back in right. December. Um, yeah, he released a book. I've got it here actually, just right next to me. I'm re- reading his book. Yes, <laughs> ethical vegan. Yeah. So he he yeah. he says he just matches the vegan society definition, and maybe that should be the legal definition of what you're allowed in. Mm. In a, in a food product in order to call it vegan. Do the, um, you know, in your, in your dealings with restaurants and um, employers, you know, any, any kind of food, food provider, do you, um, do, do, is there some common obstacles that they will give you like into, into resistance to, you uh, sort of advocating for for what you advocate in this inclusive approach to well, what usually their happens offer. is to make something vegan they take something out and they don't necessarily adjust the price right so i've always always say that well that's unfair you should at least and especially i had a nachos once and they took everything off it the sour cream the cheese i think there was even some meat on there chicken or something and I said, oh, well, there's not much left. Could I have extra salsa and extra guacamole? And they charged me for it. So I paid an extreme <laughs> price for these really rubbish nachos. I was so annoyed. And they'd said they had vegan options, but they'd misunderstood. They thought I said vegetarian. So I was basically forced to eat somewhere that they weren't actually 
serving vegans. And I think that's the the, prob- the sort of the perspective of anyone who's not vegan. They haven't thought about it. Like they don't know pesto contains cheese. And that's quite often the sauce they would offer you because it's green as well, maybe. <laughs> and, you know, people don't know how food is made. And it might even be the people handling the food and making the food. They're not trained chefs. They're just people that put food together. Like I used to work in McDonald's. I didn't know what right. I was doing. I didn't even know anything about food safety. And they trained me, and I was just immature. I didn't really care. <laughs> I was just very quick on the till. That was my superpower in working in that sort of environment. And I like I was the same age yeah. as all of my coworkers. <laughs> it was really quite social. <laughs> but as far as uh, looking at cross contamination in a kitchen, they don't have the space to cook it on a separate grill. So places like McDonald's and yes. Burger King, they can't they can't adapt their menu because by the limitations they'd have to retrofit all their kitchens but what they do to include vegans is they say oh you can have it microwaved but isn't that a massively inferior quality <laughs> for, the, for the vegan and that's the trouble i think they don't consider the vegan in advance so what they would have to do to adjust takes a lot of time and it can go wrong and there's a lot of errors and when it's something like replacing the patty with a plant-based patty or the cheese with plant-based cheese it is more expensive for them they don't have the the turnover for that product they probably have a lot of wastage of an expensive product so that some people have complained that the vegans would be subsidized by the typical eaters but that will change as demand goes up as well and you don't always have to feed a vegan fake meat <laughs> But that pleases the flexitarians, and there's more of them. There's more of them than there are vegans. So, if you could sort of rewrite the the current system, what would you what would you essentially be kind of ad- advocating for? How would you describe it? That essentially, you know, just think about your menu from the perspective of as many groups as possible rather than thinking about just like you said earlier with the nachos example taking away your your meat menu to adopt uh, you know some sort of offering for some people I've got would it a be a rewrite of the menu you turn the menu upside down and this was actually people i interviewed for the book came up with this independently so more, like several people came up with this independently and it would be work really well for airlines because it would reduce their carbon footprint and they could use it as a sustainability achievement but you start with the vegan option as the base right and then if you want to add whichever meat that's extra that would really help the airlines with uh, reducing how much they have to carry and i'm sure a lot of people especially students would appreciate the reduced price so the <laughs> for the only option there is to eat especially on longer haul flights mm. Obviously, that's not really a problem right now as we're not traveling so much. But I think in places where it's compulsory to eat, like hospitals, schools, workplaces, that should be obligatory to have a vegan option because it does include all these groups. And actually in Denmark, that's what they're lobbying for and it'll be approved. It's just going through the process that all public institutions have to have a green, because they don't want to call it vegan, 
option. But it's also for health. People should have the option <laughs> to eat healthier. And the Den- Den- uh, Denmark is very much like the UK. They're very porky and <laughs> cheesy. They're like their major exports. So there's more. There's six times as many pigs in Denmark as people because it's an agricultural country. Um, you can't really get away with any of the traditional places to eat without there being some pig or cheese involved or cream. <laughs> but that's their major exports to the UK as well is bacon and lurpak. So it's it's a cultural learning. But I think you asked me this earlier about the differences between the different countries. And I think that's one of the things about Sweden and Denmark are very pro-sustainability. And now they're actually trying to invest in plant-based infrastructure because they can't feed their own population if they continue with just animals. They don't have enough land. And that's the worldwide problem, isn't it? We've got too many people. Uh, How are we going to feed them all? It's a lot more efficient to skip the cow or the, the cows particularly. You can reduce your carbon footprint by 70% by giving up beef to the average person. Do you think that that, that messaging, the the environmental, the, the green, is, you know, as much as us as vegans will want to advocate, I mean, there is all kinds of different view, vegan viewpoints, but as much as us as vegans probably would want to advocate for the from the animal welfare point of view and the you know, taking of another being's life. Do you think the uh, the environmental, that, that, that land usage argument ca- sort of carries more weight with organisations, governments, and, and sort really of the mainstream populace? If you meet an environmentalist that calls themselves an environmentalist, ask them why they're not vegan. Because that is the number one control that we have over our life and consumption. You probably can't get away with not using as much water or, you know, you can reduce plastic to a level. You can do all these things to try and protect the environment. But the one thing you should do is look at your plate. And even if you just reduce how much red meat you eat, you're already reducing your impact. Do you see people joining those those dots? I think in, you know, plant, from, from in your experience, there's a plant because I think you know people are becoming more and more aware and climate change wise anyway. First. and then when they're in the system mm. in the matrix and they're getting all this plant based stuff thrown at them on Facebook <laughs> and on Google, then they start to become aware of these things that they've probably always ignored because they just think it's the extreme vegans, activists, and that sort of protesters. I think a lot of people shy away from that because they want to fit in. And it's just a basic human reaction to being told something you're doing is not good, is you defend yourself. And I even defended myself because I didn't want to give up cheesecake. You know, like, I was just really enjoying giving up cheesecake and it tastes good. (laughs) But even now as vegetarian, cheesecake's not always vegetarian. Uh, but I, I knew that, but I still pretended to myself that it was vegetarian to eat cheesecake. <laughs> and it was just because it's I didn't know how to change. 
And I do know a very good vegan cheesecake place now. So I think when, once you discover there's a way, you can't unlearn <laughs> it. And I think I don't always call myself an ethical mm. vegan because I know there's so many things I don't know yet. I've just discovered that greetings cards are quite often coated in gelatin. And gelatin is one of my least favorite animal products. Like it's it's worse than cheese for me. Um, it's worse than the dairy industry because it's just the the boiling of the remains. You know, it's that. I think sometimes we have cultural disgust. Like I don't like pigs trotters and tongue and brains and lungs. Just when I was a meat eater, and that's what I think of when I think of gelatin is just like carcasses. <laughs> So I think, yeah, I didn't. I wanted to send my friend a birthday card. It's a gruesome card, image, isn't it? And I was it? like, I'm just going to send you a load of vegan chocolate because I can't figure out how to get you a birthday card easily enough <laughs> and ensure that it's vegan because I can't unlearn that now because I didn't know that. So you can't sort of account for what you don't know. And people are learning. I think people are more informed now as well because a lot of people have been sat at home for so long during the pandemic that they've learned a lot about their health. Mm. Maybe they've learned a lot about how to cook. And then they've learned a lot about, you know, they can make nice things themselves. They don't have to buy takeaways and things. And I think that that will be demanded quality now moving forward. Like the new norm will be we have to have a very local place that can provide for all of these new diets and i think the younger generation are going very plant-based mm. yeah 100 percent um I, I think you're right that there's uh there's definitely felt like the last year and the pandemic has probably pushed some people's knowledge on a lot further a lot quicker um like you say, probably reconnected us with our our kitchens and our home cooking ability, and um, and so on. You know, I know I know personally, it's 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 done wonders for mm-hmm. our our sort of our palates. You know, from a a personal perspective, we're not eating out, we're not eating as prepared as much. There's less grabbing and going. There's more investment in in time with with family cooking and um i sort of actually you know feel like i i I fear almost the going back to normal um because i almost don't want to lose some of that yeah we'll see how that pans out because i think um i'll have to look at too much waste saying when i go in a restaurant that's a normal restaurant like when i see loads of chicken breasts Mm. in the waste bin i'm like oh that's however many chickens whereas uh now i sort of want to just do things online where I can reduce that and I know I'm reducing it and I don't have to look at it myself. <laughs> so I think I, I, I definitely do. Thanks to all this time, I do have a better yeah. like life goal or like a plan where I want to go. I think it has helped a lot of people in that way that it's given them time to think about their lives and their meaning. And, you know, we are short of time. So why, why wait to start, the health kick or a lot of people have quit smoking even the the vegan friend that converted me or, or helped me see that it was possible mm. to be vegan she quit smoking because it's it was a <laughs> increases your chance of getting covid and obviously if you're touching your mouth with 
it's, it's also that sort of transmission as mm. well. And I think a lot of people who have been overweight are probably worried that they're more susceptible to, because they call it, don't know, they call it comorbidities or other mm. health problems. And what does that mean? That can be anything. Being overweight is a health condition. And pre-diabetic. It'd be, it'd be great to sort of just make sure that folks know exactly where, where they can get the book and uh, the, uh, you know, the title for for everybody, you know, where, so whereabouts could they go to find out some more? Uh, for pre-order at book.heatherlandex.com. However, it will be available on Amazon when it's uh, edited to make it a bit easier for people, especially in the UK um, with Brexit. <laughs> Um, and I'll be doing some. I'll be producing a course just so it's available to. Yeah. Like the general principles are available to everyone. Amazing. I think it's is is an incredible um, thing to thing to have kind of um, identified and brought to public consciousness, you know. And I, and I'm more power to you because I I think you're absolutely spot on, and and I don't see. I don't. I, I can't recall hearing anybody else talking about it, in, and so I, I think, I it's, think it's, you know, it's a really valuable perspective. Really about, thank so you they for don't it, bully their friend who has an allergy, or they understand that they can't, you know, even play with them sometimes if they've just eaten mm. peanuts and they can't go kiss their friend. That's a big deal to children that they're not allowed to just be children especially if the people working in the school. It comes back to what Laura was saying in one of your other interviews, that they just need to see the customer's perspective. Yeah. And then everything will make sense, what they have to do. It's just a change in mindset. Yeah. Like you say, it's the shift in mindset from... Oh, Oh, how annoying it is! I've got to cater for these this minority of people. Through to the actually, if I do this, I will cater for everybody. And and why would you not want to do that? You know, it, pure if even if purely it's profit driven, why would you not want to do that? I think that's how you do things these days. You just have to show the commercial viability. Mm. And the the title of the book is actually inclusive, the new exclusive, because there's so many restaurants that can't do this at the moment or they don't think about doing it or they just uh, if it, people are not even asking them if they could be served because yeah. they just assume they're not capable and they're leaving money on the table and especially whilst uh, you know we're restricted in how far we can travel you want to be capturing as much of your local catchment as possible and if there's 20% of them yeah. with a milk problem and you don't offer a milk free option it's a no-brainer, really, when you put it like that. It really is. Well, Heather, look... Th- it's hard to change, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. Easier <laughs> said than done, I imagine. But but, <laughs> but I think you're definitely on the right path, you know. Just just information is power, right? So, uh, huge, uh, huge... Yeah, and I'm thing. really happy to hear from people who, you know, people in the allergy industry where they produce free, things that are free from, and just knowing people who could have influence... To, you know, making everything more vegan or allergy friendly. That's interesting for me. And I have a unique name so people can usually <laughs> look me up on LinkedIn or something. 
100%. Well, thank you, Heather. It's been a pleasure. I'll put links in the show notes to uh, to guide some folks towards pre-ordering the book, and I really hope they do. I know I, I will. I think it's uh, it'll be a fascinating uh, read. So a uh, huge thank you, and um, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. You have a wonderful evening, and thank you very much for having me.